The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. Well, we are continuing in our, our series uh, this week, in our series, A Rebel's Anthem. And it's our, our journey through the book of Philippians. We'll have a, a slide up here. And, and in this, this journey, the last couple of weeks, we've talked about how the, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter uh, while he's in prison in Rome. And, and he's writing to this church in Philippi, which is a military outpost for, for the Roman Empire. And, and he's over there and he's writing to them and he's encouraging them. He's saying, hey, I want you to live your life in light of the gospel of Jesus. I want you to live your life in light of the gospel. And that as they do that, they realize that they'll end up rebelling against some practices in their culture. That that's just what happens. And, and of course, the, the same is true of us. That as we live in the light of the gospel, we find ourselves in a rebellion of sorts. And so each week we're kind of walking through that. And so this week I want us to look at this idea of rebelling against what I'm calling false security. False security. And so let's get started. Uh, So for the past year, uh, I've been like obsessed with the creative process, with studying the creative process, like the idea of how uh, a great thinker or artist or musician or someone like that, how they go from like an idea in their head to something concrete in reality. And so I've read a bunch of books, absorbed a bunch of books on it. I've, I've listened to a bunch of lectures and, and some TED Talks on the idea and uh, trying to figure out the trick. How do, you, how do you move from a great idea in your head to something concrete in reality? I was trying to figure out the trick. And, and basically, I, all I've found so far is the trick is to just go on a lot of long walks. Like, that's the bottom line, is if you can just go on long walks, you're just going to be a great artist or writer or whatever. Now, I don't know about you, but I just I don't have time to be walking all day. You know, I got, I got things to do. And so, so it's not going to work for me. So for Christmas, Melissa bought me another book on the creative process. It's called Steal Like an Artist, um, and it's by Austin Kleon. Has anyone heard of it, heard of him? No one. All right, that's right. We'll get there. It's a great book. Um, and Austin is a, a Austin resident, actually, and I heard that he's going to be the keynote speaker at uh, South by Southwest this year. So if you're, you're going to that, uh, be sure to check him out. And it's a great book, Steal Like an Artist. Um, and in the book, he tells a story of how one night he's on his computer and he's, he's getting in arguments with people over Twitter. And he's telling his wife about these arguments he's having with people over Twitter. And his wife finally just says, hey, quit picking fights. Go make something. Quit picking fights and go make something. And, and I love that quote. I love that idea because as he reflected on what he said, he said, you know, my wife was right to call me out that, that I should, should stop picking fights and, and go actually do something productive, but he said, you know, actually anger sort of works as creative fuel for me. And he said, so now when I get angry, instead of just getting in arguments with people over the internet, I use that to, to fuel my creativity. I use that to make something new. And so then he, he ends this chapter uh, by quoting a, a software developer um, named Andre Torres, who says, complain about the way other people make software by making software. Complain about the way other people make software by making software. Now, I love these two quotes. I love these two ideas. Quit, quit fighting and make something. Complain about the way people make software by making software. And here's why I love it. Because it shows us how to face adversity productively. It shows us how to face adversity productively. And facing adversity productively is actually a key lesson that we need to learn as a church. And it's a lesson that we each need to learn as individual Christians in our walk with Jesus how to face adversity productively, 
right? Because one of the things the church has done in recent years that we like to do is, is really lament the state of things, right? Like, oh my gosh, this world is just a mess. I'm really concerned about where our culture is headed and, and what's going on and everything's broken and what are we going to do, right? And, and that's okay. It's okay to recognize sin is sin and darkness is darkness, but then what? Where do we go from there? See, I, I wonder why is there a more productive way for us to face adversity as a church? Like, why blame the darkness for being dark? Why not ask the light why it isn't shining brighter? Right? And so what would it look like for us to be people that, instead of picking fights, made something? That complained about software by making better software, if you will. And so in our text for today, Paul shows us actually how as as the church and as individuals, we can face adversity productively. He shows us how we can face adversity and actually use that to fuel us to live fuller lives and most importantly, advance the gospel. And in this text, we see he does that in three ways. First of all, he shows us that he does does that, that he faces adversity productively. Secondly, he shows us how he does that. And thirdly, he shows us how we can do that. Okay? That he faces adversity productively, how he does it, and how we can do that. So let's dig into that. If you guys would look with me at verses 12 through 14 in our text for today, it says this. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And so here we have Paul talking about how the fact that he's in prison is actually worked out for a good thing. That the fact that he's facing this adversity has led to the advance of the gospel. And he says this happens in two ways. He says the gospel is advanced, first of all, by him. That wherever Paul is, he's going to be sharing the gospel. Regardless of his circumstance, Paul shares the gospel. And I love that, right? Paul's like, hey, I'm in prison, but it's actually okay because now I get to tell the guys that are guarding me all about Jesus. Wow, I didn't think I'd get this opportunity, but, but here I am. Now, that's incredible, right? I mean, for Paul to have that sort of perspective given his circumstance is pretty amazing. I mean, on top of that, Paul, Paul is an apostle, right? And the, the Greek word for apostle is apostello which means sent one. Okay, so he's a dude who's, who's made to be on the move. He's made to be sent. He's not made to sit still. And so here he is sitting in a prison cell. He's like a concert pianist with, with, with his hands tied behind his back. But Paul takes advantage of this opportunity. He has every right to play the victim. He has every right to be angry and upset at God and at those who are keeping him imprisoned. But here we see he recognizes his imprisonment as an opportunity to advance the gospel. Secondly, Paul says that his adversity has led to the, gospel, the advance of the gospel because other people, by seeing his imprisonment, are more bold to share the gospel. That other people see that he's arrested for sharing the gospel, and so they say, well, Paul's arrested for sharing the gospel? Man, I really want to share it now. And that may sound sort of backwards, right? That seems weird, but let's just think about it for a second. Um, Have you ever, you know, if you look throughout history and you think about a group of people that have the the same beliefs and convictions, and if their leader faces adversity, their leader gets arrested, what happens to that group of people that share the same beliefs and convictions? 
Does it slow down? Does it back off? No, they're, they're actually emboldened, right? It goes further. Tomorrow we, we celebrate uh, a great man who's part of our country, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. And, uh, you know, hopefully you know his story and you know that on, on April 12, 1963, he was arrested and he was put in jail uh, for civil rights demonstrations in, in Birmingham, Alabama. And when that happened, did, did he slow down? Did the movement slow down? Did the civil rights movement back away? No, it was actually, it was emboldened. It went further. Just a few months later, on, on August 26th, 28th, excuse me, there, there's the historic march on Washington. Just a few months after he was arrested, people were more emboldened to advance that movement. So what we see is that, that when people share the same beliefs and convictions, but then face adversity, they move forward. They move forward greater and faster. And this is what we see happen with Paul and the early church as they face persecution. They use adversity to fuel the advance of the gospel. And we have to ask the question, how? How? How does someone face the extreme adversity that Paul faced and use that for a good purpose? How does he not pick a fight, but instead use it to make something? Look with me at verses 19 through 21. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. And it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now we talked last week about how Paul, super smart guy, has scripture memorized, that sort of thing. And so whenever we read his words, uh, we want to say, all right, is this maybe pointing back to the Old Testament? Is this maybe pointing back to another reference? And we see here in verse 19 that Paul actually is doing that. Um, that in verse 19, it says, uh, this will turn out for my deliverance. Will turn out for my deliverance. And those in the Greek is the exact same words as we'd see in Job 13, verse 16. That Job says the exact same thing. And so Paul's referencing Job. Now, why is he doing that? Why would he do that? Hey, Lester, would you do me a favor? Could you get some chairs? Thank you. Uh, sorry, it's driving me crazy. Um, so if we can get some chairs. Uh, so Job 13, verse 16, and, uh, and it says, this will turn out for my deliverance. And if you know the story of Job, you know that he's a man who faces adversity, right? He's a man who, who loses his kids, loses his family, loses his livestock. He gets sick. Everything falls apart for him. And his wife actually comes up to him and says, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? Just be done with this. And his friends come up to him and they say, Job, you know what? You must really have messed up bad. God must really be punishing you for something you're doing. And so Job has these people coming at him. He's got all this falling apart. And all he says, Job 13 verse 16, is he says, this will turn out for my deliverance. This will turn out for my deliverance. And this is exactly what Paul quotes in verse 19. And so what's he doing there? He's putting himself in Job's shoes. You see, Job was eventually delivered from the adversity he faced. Job eventually had everything restored to him, everything brought back to him. And so Paul is saying, listen, this is not the end for me. No matter what happens, whether I live, whether I die, I will be delivered. In life and death, 
This is not the end for me. I will be delivered. And see, Paul can have that perspective because his security in life and death is not based on his circumstances. His security is not based on his abilities. It's not based on his status. It's not based on anything else but Jesus Christ. His whole security is in Christ alone. Nothing else matters to him. Whether he lives or whether he dies, he is Christ. Nothing else matters. Now, now how does that happen? Like, how do you get like that? Like, wouldn't you like to be able to, to face adversity like Paul? That, that circumstance wouldn't dictate things for you, but your security in Christ and resting in that, no matter what comes your way. Wouldn't that be awesome? So, uh, earlier this week, uh, Jesse, our, our usual director of the worship arts, and I uh, had the opportunity to lead chapel at Concordia High School over in Pflugerville. And, and we were over there, and he led worship, and, and I spoke to the, the students there about uh, finding our identity in Christ, what it is to find our identity in Christ. And in my message, I, I share with the students um, some of my story from this past year. And, uh, and many of you know um, some of that story, you're, you're part of that story, that uh, kind of February of last year, I really started to, to wrestle with anxiety, started getting panic attacks, insomnia, uh, depression, and I was just like a mess, falling apart. And, uh, and I shared that with these students, and I shared with them um, a major turning point in my journey um, that, that I had, I mean, I was, I was on meds, I was uh, in counseling and, and figuring this out, uh, but I had this major turning point in my journey, which happened over breakfast with my dad. And uh, my dad's also a pastor. And so, so he and I are having breakfast one morning when he came for a visit. And I was telling him, I was like, Dad, you know, I just feel like I'm failing. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, I, I just, like, I just so feel weighed down by this task ahead of me. Like, I just, I, I don't think I can do this. Like, I just need to stop being a pastor and get in a white Ford Bronco and drive somewhere and start all over, right? And I'm just like, Freaking out, and my dad is, is hearing this, and, and he's a, a true Wisconsin farm boy, right? He's true, grew up on the farm, Wisconsin farm. So, you know, like, you break your arm, you rub some dirt on it, and get back to work, son. You know, we got, we got uh, hay to bale. And, uh, and so this guy, my dad, starts crying. What is this? And, and he shares this story with me of, of when he was in ministry, um, about a huge failure he had. And it was nothing illegal or immoral or nothing like that, but it was just something that he had invested a lot of time and energy and resources and other people's resources in, and it all blew up. And it eventually fell back on him as the leader. And he told me, he said, Gabe, it was in that moment that, that I had to face, is my security really in Christ alone or is it in my ability? Is it in my skills? Is it in how other people see me and what they think about me? Or is my security really and truly just resting in Jesus, that I'm his? He said, I had to come face to face with that. And my, my dad sharing that story with me was, was just huge. It was huge for me in my journey in, in trying again and again to, to really truly find my security in Jesus alone. And so I share that story with these students this past week, right? There's a story within a story. And so I share that story with these students this past week, and this girl came up to me afterwards. And she said, Pastor Gabe, you know, thanks for sharing that story. That's great. But, but seriously, how does it work? Like, you, you can't tell me it's just like a light switch that it just flicked. Because, listen, I've been trying. I've been trying to find my identity in Jesus alone. I've been trying, and it's just not happening. She said, I just feel so angry. And I said, you know, you're right. It isn't just a light, 
a light switch that, that flicks. I mean, it can be, but it hasn't been that for me. I said, you know, it's, it's come down to again and again and again, reminding myself of who I am in Jesus, reminding myself of who I am in Christ. Again and again, to even start to live into that truth, to even let it sink in a little bit. And she said to me, well, fine, but how do I do that when I, I don't even feel like doing that? And I, I shared with her some words that a pastor friend shared with me once. He said, spiritual maturity is when your convictions and beliefs trump your thoughts and feelings. He said, spiritual maturity is when your convictions and beliefs trump your thoughts and feelings. And this is what we see Paul do. Look what he does in verses 22 to 26. He says, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. This text is incredible because we actually get a glimpse inside the brain of Paul here. He's literally in this text, I don't know if you caught that, he's wrestling between life and death. He's struggling between whether or not it's better for him to just give up, let Rome kill him, call it a day, go be with Jesus. Or if he stays and continues to share the gospel, continues to support the churches that he started. And so he's literally in the midst of this life and death decision. And you can tell he's absolutely distressed by how he writes. The way he writes in this text, he's absolutely distressed. If you can pull up verse 22, Deanna. Uh, I, have, I have four different commentaries on the book of Philippians. Like I mentioned, it's my favorite book in the whole Bible. And, and I was reading through them in, in prep, and every single one of them has the hardest time translating verse 22. Like, they don't know what to do with it because Paul, he's, he's a very refined writer. He's a very good writer. His, his, his sentences are logical. They make, make sense. But in verse 22, his writing becomes really erratic. Like, let me just demonstrate for you. I'm just going to read for you a literal translation of verse 22. But if to live in the flesh, this for me, fruit of labor, and what I might choose, I do not know. Right? Paul turns caveman on us, right? He turns, like, he just doesn't know how to write. He's just throwing stuff out there, doesn't know what to say. He's just a mess. But then in verse 23, we see what he actually feels. We see what he actually desires. He says, my desire is to depart and be with Christ. That's what he actually wants. But then in verse 24, he says, but it's more important for me to be with you. And in verses 25 and 26, we see that that's what he chooses to do. We see what his desire is, what he feels like, and then we see what his convictions and beliefs are. And for Paul, his convictions and beliefs trump his thoughts and feelings. So we've seen, first of all, that Paul faces adversity productively as he uses his imprisonment to advance the gospel. Secondly, we've seen how he does that. That is, he finds his security in Christ. And because of that deep, deep security, he gains maturity and his convictions and beliefs trump his thoughts and feelings. And finally, in this text, we're going to see how we can face adversity productively, how you can face adversity productively. But before we do that, I want us to, to look at how people oftentimes face adversity. I think there's two ways. When, when trouble comes your way, when hard things happen, there's two ways people respond. They either look internally or they look externally for security. 
They look to find security internally or externally. And so on the one hand, you have those who they face adversity, but they get through it by looking inside and they say, hey, I've been here before. No one's going to look out for me, but me. I'm going to pull myself up by my own bootstraps. Who cares what anyone else thinks, right? I am what I am. I am what I am, which is, of course, a quote from the great prophet Popeye. Uh, so, you know, if, if, if your wisdom on how you engage adversity in this world is coming from a cartoon sailor, there might be a problem, okay? But there really is, right? Like, like, what happens when you turn inward to find security? Either you actually do make it through adversity, but you become so distant and removed from other people. You become so prideful and arrogant that no one likes you, right? And we've all met that guy. Or you fail yourself in some way and you get so disappointed and shame-filled and guilt-ridden that you don't like you. And so you face adversity by looking inward and for security and it doesn't work. But on the other hand, you have those who, who maybe would face externally and they look to others for their security in the midst of adversity. And they say, listen, those people can do what they want as long as these people have my back, right? Those people may be in power now, but one day we'll be in control. I don't care what anyone else out there says, as long as these people still like me, as long as I'm still accepted by this crowd of people, as long as I'm still liked by these people, then I'll be okay. Nothing can stop me. Now, what happens when you turn externally for security? You end up becoming combative and insecure, right? You're either constantly worried and wondering if these people like you, if they're okay with you, if, if you're fitting in, or you're thinking, my little group of people is better than that group of people, and so I'm just going to fight them on everything to become combative and insecure. And so either way, looking for security externally doesn't work. Looking for security internally doesn't work. Thank goodness there's a third way. There's a third way. The way we find security in the midst of adversity. Look with me at verses 27 to 28. It says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. And so what's the third way? How do we find security in the midst of adversity? How do we do that? What does our text say? Verse 27 says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. In other words, live in the inside-out reality of the gospel. Find your source of security in Christ alone. You see, if we actually look to the gospel for our security, if we actually look to Jesus for our security like Paul did, I guarantee you we would face adversity productively. Here's why. Because if we first, it's an inside-out reality. So if we first look inside, and we look inside ourselves in light of the gospel, we see that it tells us that we are so sin-filled and broken and dark and messed up that Jesus had to die on the cross to pay for our sins. He had to do that for you. When you realize that, you, you realize you can't find security in yourself. You're not pulling yourself up by your bootstraps before God. It doesn't happen. But then, as you look out, you realize that the gospel says that God loves you so much that he sent Jesus for you. You realize that Jesus loves you so much that he gladly went to the cross to pay the price for your sin. 
that he gladly went to the cross to rescue you from the punishment that's really on you. And so you don't need any other validation. You don't need any other external validation because the God of the universe says, you're okay. You're innocent because of what Jesus did. You're good to go. And see, if we live in that inside-out reality, when you find your security in the gospel of Jesus, you can face adversity productively. Because you realize that you are more broken and sinful than you ever imagined. And yet at the same time, because of Jesus, you realize you are more loved and cared for than you ever dared hope. Does that make sense? Are we getting that? Okay. And you may say, okay, pastor, I get that cognitively. Okay. The logic of that makes sense. But let's talk about reality here. Okay, there's, there's actual adversity that we actually face. You can't tell me that finding my security in Jesus alone actually will get me through real adversity. Really. So I love, I love my job. Uh, I really do, more, more than anything in the world. Uh, well, not more than anything in the world. I love Jesus, then my wife, then my son, then my job. Uh, and uh, dodging bullets there. Um, and, uh, and, and I can't, can't imagine doing anything else. I really can't. Uh, but one of my favorite parts about this gig is I, I get to actually see the gospel work itself out in each of your lives. Uh, and that even as, as a new church, as young as we are, uh, I, already we have stories upon stories of how people living in the gospel security of Christ actually face adversity productively. And so I just, I just want to share a few of those with you this morning. There's gobs more. Uh, there's, there's a lady who's part of our church who regularly uh, gives of herself and, and serves those around her. Uh, she reads weekly in this school to kids in this school. Uh, she, she serves alongside our brothers and sisters at, at Nineveh Ministries. And uh, recently um, at her work, her, her boss just was very adverse to her, was very dark, was is not good, was treating her very poorly. And you know what the first thing she did was? She asked a group of people to pray with her for her boss. See, in the midst of adversity, she faced it productively. There's a man who's part of our church who in uh, past years was, was hurt deeply by a former church experience. But instead of let, letting that get in the way of his involvement, he's actually given of himself, given of his time, served, opened up his heart, and opened up his home for the work of this church. He faced adversity productively. Uh, there's a family who's part of our church that, that saw when adversity hit our city in the form of, of floods in South Austin. They, as far as I know, unprovoked, chose to give up their weekends and go down and serve those whose homes have been destroyed. And then in an ironic twist of fate, when adversity hit their home, instead of closing up and saying, we have to protect our own, they actually gave very generously towards a roof that we're putting on a school in Guatemala this February. And finally, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't on Sanctity of Life Sunday, uh, Sunday where many churches, including ours, uh, take time to say that life matters, um, that it's a gift, that even the lives of unborn little babies are gifts. Uh, and our church has been serving Austin Life Care Northwest uh, for the past few months, and they, they work with moms who need resources and who need guidance in, in the midst of a pregnancy. And we have a lady who's part of our church who said, I know we've been helping out, but I'd like to step up and be a liaison between our church and their organization so that we can serve and partner with them more. 
You see, what that's doing is not blaming the darkness for being dark, but it's actually saying, how can the light shine a little bit brighter? How can we, instead of picking fights, actually make something? And that's just a few examples. A few examples of the stories that, that y'all are doing. I could keep going. But do you see, do you see how that works? When the gospel of Jesus becomes an inside-out reality for you, when, when your security is, is truly in Christ alone, when the cross is that real to you, you, you can actually face adversity productively. So don't put your security in you. Don't put it on others. Put it in the one who said that he will hold you and he will never, ever, ever let you go. Put it in Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, we know that you are here. We know that you are with us. We know that no matter what circumstances we face, that you are with us. God, help us to be secure in that. Help us to trust in that truth. God, may you be more and more real to us. May the love you have for us be more and more real to us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.